Welcome to the Building Resilience Podcast, a show where we explore the world of sport and deconstruct the tools and ethos of world-class athletes to create growth and optimize business. I'm Noel Allnut, the CEO of Securo, and today I'll be talking to former professional cricket player Gavin Robertson. In this episode, Gavin shares a tale of how he had to learn a new approach to life in order to find his path to happiness and success. Gavin's reinvention of himself provided him with the tools to thrive and also to battle some serious health problems. He is truly a great example of resilience. Building Resilience Podcast. Gavin Robertson, welcome to the Building Resilience Podcast. Thank you very much for having me today. Oh, that's great. It's, uh, it's our pleasure. Gavin, whilst I was doing some research about your uh, background and your career in sport, um, it came up that really pertinent that you were on the uh, last tour of Pakistan um, in 1998 for the Australian cricket team, and obviously they're heading off to Pakistan now. To kick things off, I'd love to understand uh, how you got there, if you could share more about the beginning of your career and, and how you got to playing for Australia. Well, for me, uh, Pakistan really started in 1994 after two or three years of where New South Wales won the Sheffield Shield and the one-day double. Uh, things were going great and all of a sudden, boom, you know, you're, you're picked in the Australian squad and and you're going to Sri Lanka for a couple of weeks, but then we went to Pakistan for the main tour. I, I think Pakistan is unimaginable when you're a young boy, or I wasn't young, but I was sort of mid-20s, but when you, you're young and you're heading overseas and you think, okay, see see what happens. And But it's a very, very different world, and I'm very interested to see um, what's actually going to happen with regard to how the Australian team actually handle going over there. Because I tell you what, I've got this major... My prime perception is that they will be, they'll be genuinely shocked a bit because it is a very different framework and it hasn't, it hasn't had cricket there for what fifteen years now. So, I think it's gonna, there's gonna be a few shocks uh, heading into the front door of the Australian hotel slash motel. Yeah, it's definitely gonna be a daunting tour for the guys coming off the back of the recent Ashes win and then obviously now uh, without their uh, their coach uh, there, Justin Langer. Um, I'd love to know more about yourself, Gavin, in terms of um, your early career. Um, so you said, mentioned there, boom, you're straight into the, the test team in, in 1994. Um, could you describe what it was like growing up playing cricket and how you got your uh, your break into the into the Sheffield Shield team and then into the national team? I mean, I was never going to be a cricketer. I was a soccer player. And then my mates said they were going to play. And all of a sudden, I took seven for four in my first game and thought, oh, I must be able to play. And next minute, everything just took over. I got picked very quickly into rep teams. Coaching and cricket became very a definitive part of my life. And next minute, I'm a cricketer and not a football or soccer player anymore. But I... To be honest, I was uh, in and out uh, with the New South Wales under-19s. I was I was going okay, but I got very lucky and got picked in the 1985 tour to go to India, and all of a sudden I just shot ahead, and I did very well there. And that catapulted me straight into the New South Wales Sheffield Shield squad, which was a genuine surprise to me. But then it just got going, you know, and I think it's, there's, there's something very good about being desperate when you're young and not the best in everything that you're doing because 
what you don't lose is the ownership of desperation because there's there's 10 other blokes better than you and there's if you're an off spinner there was always one or two or three guys that were in front of me so it seems that you create this habit of wanting to get ahead so then you just decide what do i need to do to get ahead and that's really what i did so um but you know i mean I got picked in 1987. I, everything was going great. You know, 1987 to 1994, the world was flying. And I was the kid from Dundas Valley that didn't have to go to TAFE or university or being doing a, an apprenticeship and working really hard. I was doing bits and pieces, um, but primarily being a cricketer. And it can be, the world can change very quickly because I hope, you were all old enough to remember the no contract system. So I think up until 1997, 98, there was no contracts at all. So if I take you back to 1995, um, we were playing, I was playing shield cricket and playing for Australia and the Australia A team also. And all of a sudden I get dropped out of the Australian squad to go to South Africa. And then seven days later I go to get, nappies milk and bread from the shop and the bloke laughs at me and says wait till you see page 67 robbo and i went oh what do you mean and he, i've looked at the paper and found out that i was dropped out of the new south wales side all within seven days from the australian side of the australian squad and the new south wales team but the thing about it was there were no contracts so as soon as you were dropped like that immediately there was no pay and when you got a few kids and a mortgage and a wife and bills and normality doesn't take long to slide down the greasy pole of depression and where am I going? Cause I was going nowhere fast. Wow. So you literally went for, within the space of one week doing what you love at the highest level to, uh, to really having to, to reassess where, where you're going and, um, and how you would get back into some level of normality and ultimately put food on the table for your family. How did you react? What was the way you bounced back? See, back in the 70s, 60s, 70s and 80s, you know, we were brought up to hide and move away from failure. And so I was a runner and a hider. So anything that went wrong, I pretended it didn't happen. I didn't talk about it. I just tried to move on. But I was stuck in a pretty serious hole after getting dropped. Uh, I, I realized that I probably wasn't going to get picked very soon because there was we, we had very good people within that squad. And then I went for a few jobs and I couldn't get employed because they all didn't want to employ me because in four or five months, I'll be that their perception was I'll be back in the New South Wales side and I'll be off and running. But I knew that might not be the case. So basically, the simplest way I can put it is I'm on January the 17th, I'm playing in front of 83,000 people at the MCG, Australia versus Australia A, the final of the World Series Cup. And then I'm dropped during over a seven-day period. And five weeks after that game at the MCG, I'm lining up at the Parramatta Centrelink office. And there was about 60 or 70 people in the lineup. And... The thing about the 90s was everybody knew cricketers very well. So my face, they knew, and I could hear my name being mentioned in the line, which is 
that was difficult because I knew they were laughing and I was feeling embarrassed. And because you're not in that line unless you're living on the bottom of the birdcage, theoretically. So that wasn't great. I didn't handle that experience well. I spent the first three weeks having to go to Centrelink two or three times a week. Uh, my confidence now, I'm at eight weeks since I played for Australia and I really am hiding from everybody. And then I got very uh, weirdly lucky. Does that sound like a, a stupid sentence? But I got weirdly lucky and I got booked parking my car. I decided not to park in the street the next day. I parked in a place called Parramatta Park where you could park in there, walk to Centrelink and walk back. And I did went to Centrelink and got lambasted about my lack of skills and education. And then I sat in my car listening to the radio and reading the paper. And I, I still can't define what I did that day, but all of a sudden seven hours had passed and I drove home. And I drove home that day at four o'clock and the gentleman opposite me where I lived, he pulled up in his car from work and his children ran out screaming, daddy, daddy. And when I pulled up, my kids also ran out. And I thought, wow, I actually feel normal. I feel like I'm an employee. And do you remember how I mentioned running and hiding? So that's what I was yep. doing. And it's, a, it's not a good way to go. And I woke up at 6 o'clock the next day. I literally had breakfast, got in the car and took back off to Parramatta and waited for the Centrelink office to open, but straight back to Parramatta Park. And it's weird how hiding and stifling yourself away from embarrassment can move from one day and all of a sudden it becomes three months, three weeks and four days that I had spent in Parramatta Park. So, And what were you doing there? What were you, what were you reading? What was giving you inspiration or what was – what was giving you that sense of uh, sense of meaning whilst you were doing that? Basically, Monday every Monday to Friday, I went there, and nobody knew me, and I could I didn't have to talk to anybody, and I didn't have to go for another job failure that I couldn't get a job because of my perception that I'll be back in the New South Wales cricket squad, etc. So um, I read a lot of papers, uh, read a lot of sport paper on the back pages, and sort of got a, very much across what was going on, especially in rugby league, for example. And um, I don't know. I Come Saturday, Sunday, I pretended everything was fine. And I would go see my friends and have a normal life. But come Monday, Friday, I would hide again. And I remember a man walking up to me with a dog. And the dog was panting. And he said, oh, hello, are, you, are you Gavin Robertson? I went, no, mate. Wrong bloke. Wow. And he went, oh. And, you know, when uh, it might have been 30 seconds that he waited, but it felt like five minutes. And I could hear the dog panting. And he said to me, he goes, oh, okay, son. He said, uh, I I walk here. I'm a self-funded retiree. Walk my dog. And I've seen you here the last 10, 11 weeks. And to be honest, uh, look, son, I'm a – uh, somebody who's never had parents and I was fostered out and I actually never went to school. But what I'm very good at is I know my sport backwards and I'm a huge cricket fan and I pretty much 
think that I know your face. And I thought today I'll actually ask you, what are you doing here in Parramatta Park? Because I keep seeing you. And that stage I was gone. I was crying. He, he just broke me and I went, yeah, so what, mate, if you're right? And he went, that's a good start, son. And when I think about if he, he could have walked away, but I just sat there and listened to that man for three and a half hours, roughly, I think, and uh, started to get confident enough to ask him about his life. And then I realized I couldn't imagine having his life. I had a pretty good life. Um, but then he got down to how did he find his way out of the hole of having no parents, numerous foster homes, no schooling, um, starts work at 12 and a half, 13 years of age. And look at him now, 74 years of age, kids, grandchildren, self-funded retiree. He basically, he was the one that taught me how to face reality and put your mind in a framework where what can I learn today? What have I learned from my failure? And failure is really good. And do you think I could ever handle the word failure is good? <laughs> Even when I say it now, but I've, trained my whole life to understand that failure is the food that gives us the knowledge and strength to move forward and become something in life. That's a fascinating story and hearing that those people that you cross paths with along the way, um, sometimes we take them as an omen, sometimes uh, we listen to them and sometimes we don't, but people who have that impact on you are, can often be few and far between, but a lot of it comes down to whether our ears are open, our minds open to, to listening to those people. Once you're there, you've had this conversation with this gentleman in Parramatta Park. You've had a significant time um, away from uh, away from the game. How do you then start building back, understanding more acceptance around failure, understanding the more about yourself um, in this in this uh, stage of your life? How do you then get back into cricket and then continue to to flourish in the future? He said to me. Um the next person or the next opportunity that comes, learn to say yes. Um, and literally a, 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 a guy called me two days later, weirdly said, what are you doing? And then he said, look, would you like to come and you want actually not doing anything. Do you want to come and pick some boxes for me at David's limited? And I said, yes, straight away. I would not have said yes three days earlier. And I went there I w and I just, started to do everything this man said to me. He said, write down everything you don't know each day because all these people you're working with are going to be saying something, a sentence you don't understand or don't know. So I would write down everything. And what this old man in the park said to me, he started to write everything down from 12 and a half, 13 years of age and kept writing for six, seven, eight years and basically created his own degree in the art of logistics and distribution and created a life for himself, let alone becoming a general manager. So I thought, wow, what can I do? And I literally wrote down and asked questions. And when you get, you learn to do two things. You learn to have the courage to admit you don't know something, but then also the courage to ask somebody, what does this sentence mean? What did that person, what was he talking about? And 
what happens is you, you get confident every day. And you, I teach kids about imagine learning one thing a day and all of a sudden you've learned five things, then 10 things, then 15 things. And at the end of the year, you're probably around the 200 to 250 things that you've learned. And, and you, you don't realise that you're climbing a ladder of confidence, not only within yourself, but what you deliver on the platform, be it in work or in your family life or in general life. So um, I think that for me, that was probably the, the re- most important three years of my life, 95, 96, 97, where I was moving away from sitting in Parramatta Park to creating a life. And all of a sudden I wasn't a cricketer. And it took me from getting to David's Limited, which is IGA Metcash here in Australia. I, 21 months later, I was the New South Wales shelf management manager for the, 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 the Sydney and New South Wales business in shelf management. So all of a sudden, here I am being an off-spin bowler literally, you know, a couple of years prior. And now I am building the insides of shopping grocery stores. So it is weird when you are ready to open up to failure and listen and then go, I'm going to, I'm going to move a step forward every day. So, you know, then the weird thing about it is like, um, I'm sitting in my office, I'm listening to the test match and all of a sudden, cause I was still playing bits and pieces games for New South Wales, second 11, the odd second 11 game and the odd, um, one day game. And what had happened to me in that previous seven weeks, I'd been picked in two one-day games for New South Wales to fill in for because we had four injuries. And then I got picked basically to fill in for a Sheffield Shield game. And out of those three games, I got two man of the matches. But then again, I was dropped, went back to work because I was totally happy with work. And then all of a sudden, God rest his soul, Peter Roebuck said, and the surprise selection for Shane Warne's injury is Gavin Robertson from New South Wales. And I had the radio in my office. Mind you, I have a secretary now. And she says, Gavin, is that your name? I went, no, duh. No, it's not me. <laughs> and then all, all of a sudden, about 45 minutes later, the CEO of the company walked downstairs to my office and said, Gavin, we just have a slight issue. I said, oh, what's wrong, mate? We have Channel 7, Channel 9 and Channel 10 out the front of our offices and they're asking to speak to you. I'm just finding that pretty interesting. Is, anything, is everything okay with the, the new opening of, a, of a, one of the shops we were doing? <laughs> I said, I think so. And then all of a sudden, my world changed again. Do you think you would have ever received that phone call if you hadn't listened to that advice whilst you were sat in Parramatta Park? I think if I hadn't have got dropped, I might have played for another year or two, um, but I might not have absolutely owned what I was doing but from a bowling perspective and any opportunity I got with the bat. So I think um, I owned hunger, but also making a decision on what type of bowler slash batsman am I and accept it and then create a situation of routine, structural routine, how I trained and how I thought when I did it and then used all of my skills to become me, not someone else. Just And then, then what happened was when the pressure came, I could deliver. And that's really um, 
my greatest learning in life. You know, can 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 I back myself? Have I done enough? You know, learning within myself. But when big pressure comes, it's actually a big opportunity. And just imagine winning. And that's really what life is about, theoretically. You mentioned there that individualism of, of becoming yourself and the different rituals that you had there, such as writing everything down, taking every day as a, an opportunity to learn something new. That's really powerful. Whilst you were playing cricket and in and around elite sports, did you have any mentors or any players that you played with? Because you played with some of the Australian greats and played against some of the, the best players to, to walk the planet. Was there anybody or people that stood out to you and uh, that you followed some of their skills and mentality? Uh, it was definitely an era where it was sort of a fight and survive type of life. And mentorship, it, it wasn't a big part of the world in the 70s, 80s and 90s. Um, so realistically, that's probably what, where I'm coming from with meeting this old man in Parramatta Park was his ability to teach me to listen and find out what I don't know, but also have the courage to ask people. You know, communication, listening and then communication can be difficult for people because sometimes people feel that within asking a question, they feel like they're opening themselves up, that their perception of them to somebody else is that they are a failure, that they don't know something. Well, what it is is a positive move where, ah, there's a person that's trying to get better and better. There's a person that's trying to climb the ladder within our business. And, you know, then all of a sudden, once you see it that way, you don't worry about other people's perception. You All of a sudden, you find yourself moving forward. Gavin, you've um, now got a career in media and commentary, but you've gone through some challenges of yourself more recently. Are you able to share some of that with the listeners and the, the courage and the and the and the work that you've put into uh, to really survival at the moment? Are fascinating. Are you able to share some of that, please? Um, yeah, I, I was uh, I host a radio show in Sydney, and um, I was on air, and I knew that I, when I cleaned my teeth, I would get a pain behind my eye, maybe once a week or once a fortnight. And I'm lucky that myself and Steve War met. Dr. Charlie Teo 25 years ago and he's become a great mate. And I said, I said to myself, just message him, see what he thinks of this. Is this a bit weird? And I did. And he said, give me a call. So I called him the next morning. He said, what are you doing, Robert? I said, I'm just at the Giants because I started the GWS Giants with Dave Matthews and Kev Sheedy and uh, Al McConnell. And he said, why don't you come and see me? And I went, oh, really? He goes, yeah, I'll just have a bit of a look. And I didn't even get to see him. He, I saw, I went to the front desk. They took me straight down for an MRI. And he said, she said to me, once he gets the disc, he'll get back to you. And I didn't get a call for four days. And I was in Melbourne with the GWS Giants. And the call came through. And he said to me, hey, Robbo, it's your brain surgeon here. Where are you? And I didn't click on. And I went, Mate, I know you're a brain surgeon. You don't have to promote yourself with me. I know how, you, you know you've done very well in life. And he said, "Well, I will be today, mate." And I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "Well, we found a, a brain tumor in the left hand side of your brain, size of a golf ball. Um, where are you now?" And I said, "I'm in Melbourne." He said, "Great, just drive straight to the airport. Um, we've booked you on a flight." And Steve War or Tugger, as we call each other. 
Tugger will be there to pick you up at 3.30. He's going to bring you to me and I'm going to take this thing out wow. of your head at 5 o'clock today. What a phone call. Yeah, it was um, – for people, you know how you see in movies or you hear in songs where the world stands still? It literally did. Um, luckily, my daughter was driving, but I literally just sat there and I, I can't tell you what I was looking at, but next minute I got to the Tullamarine Airport. All of the Virgin flights had been shut down. I had to wait about an hour and a half, and luckily they put they the Virgin put me on straight away. I sat right up the front, and as soon as I landed in Sydney, they got me straight off, which was such a nice thing to do. And I walked out, and Stephen War was there, and Lynette War, and Lynette had been saved by Charlie fourteen years earlier. I said, "What are you doing here, Lynette?" She said, "You were there for me fourteen years ago, and now I'm taking you to, for Charlie to help you." and I literally drove to the, uh, we went to the hospital. I was in, I was out next day and then I spent the next seven months under radiation and chemotherapy. But I, I think simply when you have a GBM grade four, which is theoretically the worst you can get, I'm not interested in the three month to six month possibility of living. I'm interested in what can I do today? And what can I learn today? Because in the end, when you get a, that type of sentence on your piece of paper that you get, there's not when, when it's that bad, there's only about two sentences. It tells you what it is and it tells you what the expectancy is. And I think the simplest way to describe the next hour is you stop and think. And then Charlie said to me some very good information. He said, Gavin, don't read Google and don't start assessing it. What's going to happen? Trust the doctors and trust the um, what you're going to go through. But now start thinking positively because, you know, we actually only use 9% of our brain. So what if you think I'm going to meditate, focus when I'm resting or sleeping, etc., and focus on breathing and using the other 91% of my brain. And that's what I've now been doing for... Uh, 991 days, which is a little bit crazy, but all of a sudden I've become a very good counter, which I wasn't when I was a batsman. What a fascinating story. Thank you so much for for sharing that. It's a subject close to my heart as I had a friend who... um also survived a, a similar similar scare a few years ago and has come out the other side of it uh, stronger, but it no, no doubt does change your life. Could you share some of the changes that you've made to your life in order to uh, to live life to the fullest across those 991 days and, and into the future? I've moved down the, the vegetarian road. I've moved very much uh, trying to move away from sugars and I've moved very much around the spring water, mineral water and lemon types of fluids uh, moving trying to aim around the word alkalinity because i mean cancer theoretically it's not great living around alkaline so i'd like to try and be as alkaline as i can whatever i eat and drink throughout the day i try and walk a bit and try and slowly build up some strength like to build my body back but um i also think okay i'm gonna do at least go back and do a few days at radio and just and when I go to work, actually focus just on that and think, okay, what, how good can I be at this? What can I deliver? And then just focus on that and don't think about something prior, something else. So um, it, it's, 
it defines your focus, which is a good thing. And then when, when you are definitive, you actually enjoy stuff in a greater way. So there's not, you know, you think you're doing one thing, but thinking about three other things. And, um, I think life has gotten so fast with, um, social media, iPads, iPhones, etc. for young people, their world is moving so quickly and it's very easy to lose focus. So, um, I've just be trying to become definitive on what can I do now? What's today's aim? What can I get out of today? And then go from there. Gavin, that's one of the most heartfelt and um, motivational stories we've heard on the show. Um, all of the bounce backs that you've had from so many setbacks, whether it be on the sports field, in life, mental health and, and physical health. And, and I really appreciate you being so open and candid and sharing that. Pleasure. The final question I've got today is the question we, we close on for all our guests. And um, <laughs> this is so pertinent for you, um, is... Uh, is how do you define resilience? I think resilience is it's it's when people say the word. I think the biggest thing is you know do they actually understand the word? And um, re- resilience is I, I use the word why not? And resilience is that I think that the world is made up day in day out where something can go against you, can go wrong might not go your way, might not go towards your planning. But the question from what I say to myself is, what do you expect the world to just roll out for you? Just you, Gavin. Do you think it cares about you? No. My, my thought is the other way, that, wow, imagine living on this earth and having this opportunity. And I think about just, okay, well, any opportunity or anything that goes your way is magnificent. So just keep searching for the opportunity because too many people expect, 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 and they expect things to go perfect and go their way. But I think that um, we would have a very boring life if everything was perfect. And I think we would not be all that learned. What would we learn? Because we naturally would sit back and relax and not search to be better, to become greater, to become more learned. So for me, uh, resilience is about going for it and backing yourself. But if it doesn't go well, think, okay, what have I learned? And keep going because you will win. Ultimately, you will win. The simplest way I can put it, as you said, we were talking about Parramatta Park, three years later, here I am. I'm called back for Australia. I am none for 52 off 10 overs in India against probably the, one of the best batting sides in the world. And I'm at fine leg and I think, oh, well, I've got a good job at home. Maybe this is the end. And I don't bowl for an hour and 50 minutes. And then Steve Wall runs down. He's a 40-year-old mate. Runs down to me, pick my cap up and says, you ready? And I was like, yep. And he goes, back yourself and fight because that's what life is about because that's where the enjoyment can come. Back yourself and see what you can do today. And when you start to look at the open open window, wow, he, what's, this is an opportunity. I'm not going to go for 10 off the next day. What if I can bowl a maiden? And I literally bowled three maidens, Sarah of Ganguly, 
thinks it's going to spin and it didn't. And all of a sudden, Sarah Ganguly is out LBW and I'm off and running. And I go from none for 52 off 10 to four for 72 off 30. And if I had walked away and ran like I was very good at in the 70s, 80s and 90s, that wouldn't have happened. Gavin Robertson, thank you so much for a truly inspirational story and a phenomenal conversation. I've enjoyed every moment of that and the resilience, the determination and the acceptance of failure, but also the way that you've bounced back from those failures stronger and are now in this position to be able to share that wisdom uh, with the listeners and I'm sure to people across the globe who, who listen to this, but also uh, get fortunate enough to interact with you on a daily basis. It is uh, it is truly inspirational and, and thank you. And um, we wish you all the best in your um, endeavours and uh, look forward to hopefully chatting in the future when, uh, when those days are into quadruple figures and you keep moving forward and, um, and sharing this wisdom a- a- across the planet. So thank you very much. Thank you for having me, mate. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Building Resilience Podcast. Make sure you hit subscribe or follow wherever you listen so you don't miss future episodes. Thank you today for our guest, Gavin Robertson. I really appreciate your time. Thank you to our sponsor, Securo. Securo, trust tomorrow. If you'd like to know more about myself or Securo, you can head to securo.io. This podcast was made by Afternoon Sport Group. 